Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, Old Time Music with Cameron DeWitt and Friends. This week's friend is Ken Kalodner. We recorded this in December over Skype, and I recorded my musical parts afterwards. Shout out to Eric White and David I, Get Up in the Cool's newest Patreon supporters. Thank you so much, and thanks in general to everyone who keeps the show going every week. Get Up in the Cool currently has the most supporters it ever has, which is great, because now it's almost sustainable. (laughs) It takes a lot of time and money to make the show, and I really appreciate it when my listeners step up and help make it happen. Thank you so much. If you're listening to this and you want to chip in like Eric and David, follow the link in the show notes to patreon.com slash getupinthecool, sign up, and get yourself some exclusive rewards for doing so. One more thing before we get started, I'm teaching my pitchfork banjo technique and performing for the Winter Online Old Time Banjo Festival this January 29th through the 31st. You have three days to buy early bird tickets, so get yours now before the 8th of January has come and passed you by. Maybe when everyone is posting their versions of 8th of January on the Gram or Facebook, that can be your reminder. I'll put a link in the show notes for the tickets. Hope to see you in the comments section. Stick around afterwards and I'll tell you how to keep up with Ken Kalodner. But first, here's our interview and jam. Enjoy. Claudner, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Good to be here. I've been wanting to have you on a long time. I've only had uh, one hammered dulcimer player on Get Up in the Cool ever. It was Dr. Deb Justice. Yes, and, I know. Uh, we talked uh-huh. about you on that one, and uh, uh, cool. I, yeah. I'm glad we finally uh, got around to this. This is great. Thank you. Yeah, de- right. Deb, was. Uh, she took a bunch of workshops and lessons from me. I helped produce her one of her recordings mm. Yeah, from a bunch of years ago. So, for people who may not be familiar with 
what the hammered dulcimer is. I was just telling someone else that I was about to interview you, and they said, now, what is that? A hammered dulcimer? <laughs> what are you talking about? You hit it with hammers? What are you talking about? Exactly, and yeah. I don't e- even in the old-time scene, I don't see that many out in the wild. No. And uh, maybe you could just explain to people what they just heard in case they are unfamiliar. Right. So the, the hammered dulcimer <clears throat> has a, a kind of a, uh, not a very clear uh, history. <clears throat> it's believed that it, it goes back possibly a couple thousand years, but probably more like seven or eight hundred years. Uh, no one knows for sure. Uh, how long has it been in the United States? Maybe 300 years. We don't know that really either. Um, but uh, uh, it how it uh, came into the, uh, the world of Appalachian music and old-time music uh, is, is totally unclear as well. Uh, so, <laughs> in other words, I know, like, basically nothing. But I'll tell you wow. what the answer from this. Yeah. So, the, 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 it's, uh, the, the ancestor of the instrument is called a santur, which is a Persian instrument. And, um, and that's, that is believed to be possibly a couple thousand years old. But, no one, okay. again, no one really knows for sure. And um, we don't even really know how the American hammered dulcimer evolved. So, that history is pretty much uh, essentially lost. Um, but uh, we know that there, there are instruments that date back in this country mm. to the, uh, at least to the 1800s um, that still exist. So, uh, so there are some, some old instruments. Now, um, uh, we don't really know much about the history in old time, but there are, there's kind of a whole other world out there. It's almost like a parallel universe of uh-huh. hammered elsewhere players <laughs> that play old time music. And uh, they don't really uh, show up at uh, old-time festivals. They have their own festivals. So I'll tell you more about that a little bit later, but just yeah. get back to the hammered ulcer. Sure. So the instrument itself is, uh, is just uh, trapezoidal, as you can see. And uh, it has three main playing areas. It's got a, a, on the right side, it's got this, uh, uh, the, the ba- is the bass bridge. And then on the left side, is the, tre- the center bridge is a, a treble bridge. And you play on either side of the, that treble bridge. So the, the the higher notes are actually on the left side of the instrument. That's it's, so bizarre. Yeah, which is really strange because it's, like it. it's, it's, <laughs> it's believed to be the forerunner of the piano. So so a lot of piano players, you know, they end up trying to play this thing, and and they and they go, this is backwards because the the higher notes are on the left side. So. I developed a playing style that was really quite different than most people were were doing at the time that I started, which is Mm. 40 years ago. And that is that I put my left hand on the the primary melody notes, the primary counts in a tune. I would go one, two, three, four with my left hand so that my right hand could play chords and bass lines and that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's it's even and so even though it's believed to be the forerunner to the piano and all keyboard instruments, it's it's uh, kind of backwards and and it does have a damper pedal just like the piano has a sustain pedal. The the pedal on the the on the hand dulcimer is actually a damper pedal, so it stops the sound. And yeah, I how mean, does it do that yeah. mechanically? Yeah. So uh, I could uh, demonstrate a little bit, please. Okay. Take, taking off the headphones so I can't hear them. So, um, so if I want to put the, the damper paddle on, there's actually on, on the, my floor, you can't see the floor, but uh, there's something to step on, and it, and it pulls down these things on the side. I've been using damper pedals 
for the last, uh, well, 35 years. And I wish every hammered dulcimer player would because uh-huh. this way you can, you can get a much clearer sound. So if I take that, that two notes just playing. So it clarifies the sound. It doesn't actually make it really quieter, but it cuts out all that sustain and all that ringing that drives many people crazy. Uh, so right. when I, <laughs> so when I well, typically when I play with other folks, I'm mostly on the damper pedal. Um, okay. And and then I and actually I don't play. I typically don't play a ton of melody. I play mostly kind of backup stuff, and um, and just try and kind of play the groove. Um, you know, to, so that it fits in with whoever I'm playing with and just support, support what's happening around me. So if I'm playing with a fiddle player, I want to just kind of be like a backup person. Gotcha. <laughs> very much, very much like, um, not that Claude Hammer Banjo doesn't play melody, but it, it's kind of, I try and kind of, uh, essentially mimic that kind of groove and, yeah. Uh, and yeah, and, and play in the chords a little bit. Yeah. Interesting. So. Yeah. I would imagine that you you kind of in, I'm inferring from what you said that most hammer dulcimers do not have damper pedals. Correct. I would say uh, when I, I got one of the first instruments uh, with the damper pedals made by Sam Rosetta uh, for John McCutcheon, and then oh. I saw John McCutcheon. I was talking to him, and I said, "You know, I got to get dampers." And he said, "Well." Uh, we were both doing recording at the time at Abias Studios in, in uh, Virginia, and and he said, "Well, I'm about to. I'd like. I'm getting a new one. So if you want this one, you can have it." And I said, "Great, I'll take it." So I got John McCutcheon's instrument, which I st- and I still have it um, from like 40 years ago or 35 years ago when I first started playing with dampers. And when I went out into the the larger world of you know performing and all that. Uh, I didn't. I saw almost nobody with damper pedals today. Uh, it's it's changed a lot, and there are, uh, there are many more players with dampers. But I'd say it's still probably only maybe five percent that wow. use dampers, and I, I wish it was more like ninety five percent. But that's, right. you know, yeah, it's it you know it depends. I think uh, what your goal is, and, and and if you're playing with people a lot, then I sure. think dampers are kind of essential. But if you're you know mostly just playing by yourself, which is what most people do, I think, uh, just play for themselves and, uh, it maybe matters less. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm imagining that if you're trying to play fiddle repertoire on the hammer dulcimer without a damper, you're talking about a constant stream of 18th, 18th, uh, or sorry, 18th, 16th notes or eighth notes, depending on how you, uh, yeah, how you, yeah, how you think you know, about it. Yeah. How, right. how you think yes. about it. Yeah. And, uh, so th- if you're doing that without a damper on the hammer dulcimer, I would imagine that it would start to sound like, um, well, like playing a piano with the pedal down the whole time without refreshing it. You know, it would sound like yes. way too much, which makes okay. me want to ask, do most dulcimer players, including, you know, the the ones that don't have damper pedals, are they playing fiddle repertoire or what are they playing on these instruments? Yeah. 
So it, it's it's um, as I uh, alluded to before. Um, I, I, I mentioned this kind of parallel universe of hammer yeah. dulcimer players. There's all these festivals around the country, uh, dulcimer festivals, and mountain dulcimer players, hammer dulcimer, and yeah, there's fiddle players and banjo players that that attend these as well. But they're primarily for uh, dulcimer players, um, and um, and and if you go to a typical jam, you'll hear. Uh, a kind of a mix of repertoire, but you'll hear a lot of it will be old time. Uh, I would say 75% and sometimes more will be old time. There'll be some Irish tunes mixed in. Okay. Um, so it's kind of, it's very different than what you would see at an old time festival in that there could be some other tunes that drift in from other genres. Right. Um, but but most, of the, most of the jams are pretty much straight old time. And, um, but, but I would say it's a little bit, uh, less, uh, or more kind of top 40 old time, you know, it's more like sure. over the, over the waterfall, whiskey for breakfast, soldiers, joy tunes like that. Uh, golden slippers that, you know, kind of tunes that when you're maybe first starting to play, uh, right. you kind of hold on to the, that's the tunes you might learn at first. And then after a while you kind of forget about them. There's, they're great tunes. I'm not saying they're bad tunes. It's just that you move on. You move on to a little deeper into the into the genre. So uh, one of the things I try, have tried to do over the years is introduce tunes like like that Oklahoma Rooster to yeah. the, the, the world of hammered ulcer players. And, and a bunch of them have uh, stuck and, uh, you know, and, and shown up at, uh, at the festival so that it gets a little deeper. That's great. Yeah. So it's, but uh, yeah, but it, it is a lot of, uh, it's really something to hear uh, 20 or 30 or 50 hammered ulcer players all it, playing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah, you might not want to. <laughs> <laughs> How interesting. Okay, so yeah. you you made a reference to, you know, not knowing how the American... Uh, hammer dulcimer was developed or the history like i felt like you were talking about it like i guess you would say organologically <laughs> like right, and, yes. and i guess I, that leads me to ask are there um cousins you know from the same you know to to the american hammer dulcimer in other places of the world and how are those similar how are they different it, it, that's a great question and that's that's exactly where i went uh musically uh, many, many decades ago, I, I was very interested in, I started off playing, uh, playing hammer dulcimer. My first instrument was actually fiddle. So the thing I wanted to do on hammer dulcimer was play fiddle tunes, you know, sure. and I was also, and I was also interested in Irish music. So I wanted to play Irish music on the hammer dulcimer and, and there were lots of people doing that at the time. So I was, it was kind of a natural thing to do. Um, but I also got really interested in where does the hammer dulcimer exist around the world? Yeah. And uh, so I, I used to go to this, uh, I live in Baltimore, I used to go to this grocery store where they had cassettes of Chinese music, a traditional Chinese mu- music, and it would just you know have Chinese lettering, and I would look at it, and I would say, well, if it had a picture of a hammer dulcimer, the equivalent of the hammer dulcimer, the Chinese version, which is called the Yang Qin, Hmm. Uh, which is loosely translated, my understanding, to butterfly harp. Okay. I, I, I will get these cassettes. Remember cassettes? I don't know if you remember I cassettes. Do. But <laughs> they go way back in a, those little things. So I would get these little cassette tapes and listen 
listen to the, this, these tunes, and I, I learned Chinese music on the Hammered Dulcimer, and then oh, cool. I, 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 I found um, that there was, uh, there was a really rich tradition in Germany called of uh, an uh, instrument called the Hackbrett, which translates to cutting board, um, huh. and also in Switzerland. Yeah, the name. And these uh, are all name. and these are all hammered as yeah, well. These are all hammered, hammered dulcimer equivalents essentially. But the but but the setup can be quite different in all uh-huh. of these countries. So the tune the tuning system is uh, for the American hammered dulcimer is completely different than the the hot bread, and that's completely they're all completely different from uh, the, the the Chinese version Yang Chin. And the same with the cymbalons in Eastern Europe, uh, Hungary, and huh. and. Uh, Greece, they have yet other tuning systems. So, uh, so you'll you go around the world and you see, and then there and then there are cousins to the instrument, like the cantile in Finland. And so I, I kind of branched out and looked. I, I sought out all those those different kinds of uh, uh, kind of relatives to the hammered dulcimer and started to play music of those different cultures on the hammered dulcimer, in, in addition to old time. Yeah. So, so I, yeah. I would imagine that would be pretty tricky if they all have different tuning systems well so what i all i did was just listen to the tunes and then say well i'll just figure adapt out. it to yeah, yeah adapt it to the instrument so uh if i were to try to play the tune on one of their instruments it, it would i couldn't do it and, gotcha. they, and likewise they would look at this <laughs> and go and in fact i had quite i had a, a great chance to do exactly that because many years ago i was invited to this festival called the international hotbed festival and Hochbrett, again, it's a German version. So the cutting board. Just, yeah, the cutting yeah. board. You know, you think about cutting, you know. So I, I go to, um, with this group called Helicon, which was uh, a trio that I still perform with. Uh, a guy named Chris Norman, who's a great flute player, and Robin Bullock plays uh, guitar. And we, and we I went to Germany to play at this festival, and there were amazing players from China and from uh, uh, Austria, I, I, there was a great Iranian player, um, some Greek players. They were f- from everywhere, Australia and you name it. The Australians had the same version uh, as the American Hammer yeah. as did uh, and so did the Eng- English players and the Irish players. They used essentially, the Irish players had a different instrument actually, but the English players had the same instrument, same setup. Um, and um, so, you know, we, we would like compare the, the tuning uh, this is, you know, in the days well before the internet. Yes. Right? So, um, so we would compare our different tunings and uh, had a lot of fun with just kind of like, where is, where is your D? You know, <laughs> where's, you know, where's, <laughs> I'm just trying to say one note. Like, how do you play in the key of D on this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but so anyway, yeah, at that festival, we had a super time because this trio I played with played music from all over the place. So we, and that's what we did. Of course, they wanted to hear our fiddle. They wanted to hear us yes. play fiddle tunes. But yeah. we, when we played their music, uh, like the Chinese players were blown away that three white guys from Baltimore, Maryland would be playing Chinese music. You know, and I, maybe we didn't play it that well, but uh, they thought it was amazing just that we we played it, and they they purchased all our CDs and oh, that's great. Lots of, yeah, we had a it, we had, it was a crazy exchange because we had a. Uh, a German interpreter who was translating from Chinese into German to someone else who was translating into English. <laughs> <laughs> so we had this crazy conversation. But yeah. it, was, it was a lot of fun. 
Yeah. Well, so, I'd yeah, love to hear. Yeah. I'd love to hear another tune, and then sure. I think I had a follow up question or two about how the uh, how the dulcimer is set up. But then, I mean, we could go in all all sorts yeah, of directions. Could. Yeah. Sure. But let's uh, let's hear another tune next. What do you want to play? Okay. Um, well, maybe I'll play something slow. Great. Slow and pretty, because that's one of the things I like to do, too, is yeah. some pretty stuff. So I'll do... Let those uh, notes ring. Yeah, hey, let it ring. Yes, use the sustain. So I'll do um, maybe a, a Coleman's March. You oh, know, what? You know that one. Yeah, yeah. With some different chords. <laughs> there we go. Coleman's March. Sounds great. I love that tune, and I love those I chords. Yeah, yeah. Let's put in some minor chords. Yeah, yeah. Minor chords. Yes, in all time. <laughs> <laughs> I like them. <laughs> I I like them too, and I think yeah. I think it makes um, 
well, I mean, I think minor chords make plenty of sense on guitar and, tr- you know, uh, more conventional string band instrumentation as well, because the notes are right there to play them. Right. But I will say that when it seems like when you're playing this instrument, um, mm-hmm. you have a little bit more freedom to think like contrapuntally because you're thinking yes. about individual notes and voice leading. And often like even the most, like the strictest old time guitarists, you know, from certain regions, they'll play those notes in between in their runs and they'll, right. they'll imply minor chords and things like that yes. as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, uh, not a, uh, a purist in, in my chord choices. And, uh, and, and, you know, this instrument is, is, uh, it's both, you know, it, it, you're capable of playing just straight melody lines, but also all the, bring out all the, the chords uh, of a tune. So it's kind of a, you know, like on a fiddle, it's it's much more kind of linear, and you 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 can think chords, and you can play two notes at a time. On this, you can actually do more, right? And you can do these, and you can also you can also do intervals that are not possible on uh, on, a, on on a fiddle. So for me, when I approached the instrument, I said. Oh, look, I can play a note up here, you know, and I can play a tenth way down there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, or even more, I can do, I can be two octaves apart, three octaves apart on this instrument. Um, so my left hand can be way up there and the melody in my right hand can be way lower. And uh, so that was, it, it opened up uh, harmonic possibilities for me that I would not have considered if, if just playing the fiddle. Yeah, I was watching your hands this time um, mm-hmm. because... Uh, you were mentioning how you lead with your left hand for the melody right. notes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was that last time through you were reaching all the way to that third mm-hmm. column of, yes. Uh, yeah. It was uh, up here and it went down there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to, to get exactly. those bass notes and, and yep. to build that slow bass line. Right. Yeah. So that rising bass line as the tune goes up. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the cool. tune just wants to do that. <laughs> It's right, right exactly. there. <laughs> That's right. You, you got to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess I had one more question about how it's set up, which is, mm-hmm. I think in that first tune, you yeah. had this little variation mm-hmm. where, unless Skype was playing tricks on me, I think <laughs> you were. I think you were going back and forth chromatically between a minor third and a major third, and I was thinking. I bet that's a little bit trickier than on like a fretted instrument or on a fiddle. And I, I can't in general tell what you're doing, but it didn't look like you were playing two strings that were right next to each other necessarily. Absolutely. Definitely not. (laughs) How did you do that? That's excellent that you can see that. That's really, most people do not pick that up. So the, the, so the instrument is actually organized as a circle of fifths. You stop, start at the top of the instrument is the key of C. Okay. And then it, then it goes uh, key of G, D, A, E. It just goes right on down. And wherever you see a white note, I don't know if you can see that very well, um, but wherever you see a white marker, that's, that's a key marker. And okay. so, it's, so it's grouped by keys, and it's, and it's a fifth across the bridge. So, okay. uh, so it's kind of a bizarre, uh, I don't think there's any other instrument that has this organization. And, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, yeah, it's pretty unusual, uh, I think. And, uh, to, to play chromatically, you've got to do some crazy stuff. So I think in that tune, 
I was trying, I grabbed for a second, I grabbed an F sharp seven to go in the first tune, Oklahoma Rooster. Yeah. I grabbed just a little piece of an F sharp seven to move yeah. to B minors. This, you know, so to get that chord, <laughs> I've got to go here. So that's an F sharp. I got to reach way up there to that note, then come over here and then there. And that was yeah. the chord that I You're played. jumping around so, quite a bit. So I'm jumping around. <laughs> and then when I went from, there was a spot where I went C sharp to C. And I did that little wiggle C sharp C. It's kind of like bending a note on a on a on a fiddle, right? Yeah. You know where you kind of make a bluesy. So I did that. Can't quite reach it there, but uh, I wiggled back and forth between right. the C sharp and C, and there, so I'm crossing the bridge when I do that. Yeah, your hands are uh, certainly farther apart than you, the notes are. <laughs> yeah, right. You would you would expect well, if it's a C sharp and you're going to C, yeah. shouldn't it just be right there, right next sure. to it? No, it's not. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a uh, like six inches away, you know. And uh, and and in fact, the F sharp to the B flat is like twelve inches away, um, you know. So that's pretty far. Yeah. Anyway, because it's you know it's because of the key organization, it makes um, because it's diatonically organized to, to play chromatics. To play chromatics on the instrument is, is very challenging. And uh, so when I was playing, so over my in the many years that where I played all this music from all over the place, Greek music and whatever, um, it was really a great experience because I learned where all the chromatics, how to play chromatically on the instrument. Yeah. Which came in handy playing old time, you know, or if I'm playing a sure. rag or something, you know, then I can sure. get, get all those, uh, all the, the, the strange jumps and uh, the chromatics. Yeah. But very perceptive that you picked that up. Well, I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. want to go and, you know, I, I wouldn't want your effort to play something right. other than what the instrument wants to do to go unnoticed because I, yes. I always appreciate when people um, have, when people, try, <laughs> when people try to fight their instruments almost, it's like, okay, I know that yeah. the limitation of this instrument, the thing that's idiomatic to do is this, but what I want right. to do is this. So in this time right, through the tune, I'm going to like, go ahead and take that extra little effort to do something that, you, you know, it. on yeah. a fiddle would be like, you could just like sneeze and accidentally do it, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, so I went through a phase of like wanting to play, uh, ragtime and all kinds of stuff on this instrument and and so i i, I played some uh, i really worked hard to play scott joplin a bunch of joplin oh my tunes. goodness and i and, yeah and i got them i got them like you know pretty good for the instrument and right. then i finally said you know this just makes no sense because you can't do come close to what a guitar or a piano can do with the joplin piece Right. And it's never going to sound anywhere, no matter how well I get it. And certainly not me, and I don't think anybody can ever get it to a point where it's going to be any anything nearly as good musically right. as what those instruments can do. So yeah, so I I recognize uh, maybe my limitations and the limitations of the the instrument at times, and just say no, I'm not going to do that because sure, you know, it just it's just not going to be as good. And and it's one thing to say. Well, look at me. I can play this on this yeah. instrument. Uh, you know, but what's the point? You know, is it musically, is it satisfying? As satisfying yeah. as what someone else can do. 
and uh, and I've seen that on banjo and other instruments too. I was going to say it. it's not like yeah. there's like a lot of parallels to playing clawhammer. Yes, right. <laughs> yes, I know. Like that's cool, but you know, really, it's not working that great. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you, maybe you shouldn't play that tune on there. Yeah. So mm. no, I I definitely get it. I <laughs> I, I guess it, it took me a while to kind of figure it out that it's just as much as I would have loved to play uh, Joplin and some other things on the instrument. I should have just learned the piano, you know, if I were going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But somewhere, somewhere in there is like this Mm -hmm. sweet spot of like this kind of tension and negotiation of you trying to push past the conventional limits of what the instrument wants to do. And there's something fun there. Uh, There, That is. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. And, And so that's the other side of it. And, and definitely for me, um, I was, uh, over my many years, I was uh, playing the instrument, always trying to see what else I could pull out of it yeah. and, and challenge myself. And, and certainly in my early years, playing all that, that music from all over the place, that was, you know, bending strings, trying figuring out how to do that, um, you know, playing and plucking, yeah. doing a, a bunch of different techniques that I learned over the years. Um, and there are players today certainly doing that sort of thing as well, trying to expand, uh, you know, kind of take the instrument as far as they could take it. There's sure. A lot of people play like rock and roll and all kinds of stuff on yeah. the instrument. And, well, there's uh, that like viral yeah. video guy yeah. who's playing Tears for Fears, uh, Ted yes. Yoder, I think. Is Ted Yoder, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I know Ted, and uh, it oh, was, it's amazing. Yeah, so I think. Uh, I think that the raccoon, you know, I think, do you see the raccoon at the end come in? I don't yes. know if you watched the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. So I think that, I think that put it, pushed it over the edge. So great for him, you know, that, but he's, I mean, he does a great job with those taking uh, pop tunes and, and, and rock tunes and, and putting them on the instrument and making it really work. It's, yeah. you know, it's just, it's not something I want to do, but I, I appreciate that he does it and, and other folks that uh, yeah. do that sort of thing. There are other players out there that are doing it. Yeah, I mean, and especially if you're talking about this instrument that, like you hinted at earlier, lends itself to spending a lot of time by yourself. Yes. <laughs> then, yeah. You know, that can, like, free you from certain kind of restraints, you know, right. and, like, really, like, let the leash out. And Sure. Yeah. Well, well, I think for all of us, we spend, as, as music, whether professional musicians or amateur musicians or whatever, we spend most of our time playing by ourselves, right? Sure. You know? You know, I especially mean, now, we, we, yeah, yeah, right. Especially now, especially these days. But, but just in general, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty solitary endeavor. You sit there, you know, playing the same phrase over and over again, yeah, uh, fifty or hundred times or more to get it down, and uh, it takes a lot of patience and determination, and then. Uh, then you get a chance, hopefully, to play it with somebody. Yes. You know, and that's that's and that's kind of to me. That's always a, a huge reward to finally get. And I I uh, much prefer playing with people than playing by yeah. myself or playing solo. There was a period where I was doing like solo performance. You know, like t- someone like what Ted Yoder does. Yeah. And and that wasn't that was definitely not for me. I'm I'm definitely more of a want to hang out and play with people I could play with Brad now my son Brad yeah and uh, and I play with lots of other folks over the years and that is just the the interaction that takes place when you play with people whether it's jamming or in in a a, you know in a band or whatever is 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 so much more a a richer experience than me than solo performance Hmm. well I'd love to hear so I uh, know that's that's your experience as well but that's yeah 
I I absolutely agree. I see a, there there are definitely people who seem to be really fulfilled just doing solo performance. Um, you know, they'll go to open mics, they'll, you know, play at wineries by themselves, you know, and they just seem to be it seems to be enough for them and um I can do some of that. And I and I have gotten to the point where I'm yeah. bu- trying to build a repertoire of solo performances that are fulfilling sure. for me to play, but it's never going to be the same mm-hmm. as like no. Hang, hanging out with someone, you know, on stage or off yeah. stage and right. um, seeing what happens. Well, it's, it's the, um, the lack of communication. When, I mean, it's a different communication when yes. you're playing solo, certainly. You're communicating with, you know, you're playing for folks, of course, um, but it, but, and that's who you're communicating with. You, but when you're on stage with other musicians, there's the whole world of listening it, it, it's you know it's all about listening skills really you know, yeah. listening to each other listening to yourself but primarily listening to others when you play and responding and and you're basically a teammate you know and uh, you have to listen if if one of your teammates is faltering you got to jump in there and rescue you know if they're yeah. taking they're doing something and they're lost they're like you're in the B part man you know come on we're in the A part <laughs> do we go with that person you know that whole yeah. kind of community looking looking over and communicating and saying hey uh, without actually saying anything yeah <laughs> you know, that's uh, so there's and just the you know playing dynamics communicating dynamics and uh, maybe a core change that you want to do that you didn't plan out and uh, just kind of communicating hey listen for this chord change here it comes you know I'm going to do something that's telling you there's a different chord coming and yeah. hopefully you'll figure out what it is. Um, so all those kinds of things I think are, are, you don't have them. Of course you don't have to worry about solo performance. You just do whatever you want. But, yeah. um, but I, but I still much prefer, and both are good. I mean, I do like playing by myself. Uh, certainly. Otherwise I probably would have never stopped or started playing. In fact, in the very beginning of my playing career, it was like a goal for me to someday be able to play with people I thought would be, really fun ah. and then when I finally got a chance to do it I was so scared I could hardly play you know <laughs> it was terrifying well uh, on, on that know. note yeah. and before uh, I get any sadder from hearing you talk about you know how great it is to play with other people <laughs> Right. You know? yes, yeah, <laughs> uh, I would love to hear another sad. tune and then I want to okay. ask you about your musical origin story sure okay All right. I think I'll play a tune uh, uh can we get a little bit out of old time? A of course, bit? yeah. Okay, so this is a tune that um, this guy is a banjo player and an excellent guitarist. And actually, you can find him online. His name is Kurt Steger. He's a he's a scientist uh, and uh, he, he's a paleontologist and he's worked in glo- global warming and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he um, he he wrote a tune called Southern Cross, and I heard him play it mm. on guitar, and I thought it was really lovely. So I'm going to play it, and so I adapted it for the Hammerdolls, but I'm going to play it. It's kind of a fiddle tune with lots of parts, so like uh, five or six parts. I'm not even okay. sure how many parts <laughs> it is, but hopefully I'll get them all in the right order. So here it goes. Southern Cross. Okay.
cool tune. Yeah, it's a cool tune. Thanks. I, I love I love that the damper pedal sections. Yeah, That's so yeah great. just throw that in. Yeah, <laughs> right. Just throw that in there. Yeah. 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 So what, when did you start playing old time music or traditional music in general? How did you get introduced right. to it? So um, I guess this is going back to when I was maybe 17. I went to a little festival in Maryland called the Deer Creek Fiddlers Convention. Why did you go and there? I went there. Uh, I went there just basically to party. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. It was this little creek, and we took inner tubes, and we we took some uh, uh, substances, uh, altered uh, a substance of mind altering substance. That's the word I was looking for. Great. Way back. This is back in the. You know, this is like uh, the '60s. So let's see, I would have been, or no, it's been about around 1971. So before I went to college. So this is the height of, you know, marijuana discovery and all that. So you know, sure. we had a couple, a couple of joints and we went out there. And I thought this was going to be really fun. <laughs> and so we went out there. And what I d- discovered was all these people playing. Um, yeah, we did went tubing and all that. But I was just amazed by seeing older folks and younger folks playing instruments together and uh, playing this music, which I didn't really even know what old-time music was, and I guess I didn't know if it was bluegrass or what it was. I didn't know there was actually a difference yeah. between the two. And, um, and I said, this just looks like so much fun. And then um, uh, I guess it was after uh, college. I still wasn't playing music, um, but I went to school in Wisconsin that had a conservatory, so I hung out a fair bit with you know classical musician types, um, but I was still really interested in in um, I was listening to bluegrass some. I still didn't know what old time was, um, but I went to um, I, w- I was doing a, a trip out west, and I went down to Galax, and I went to the Galax Fiddlers Convention. I just heard about it, and I hung out there for a couple of days and had an amazing time just listening to to people play. And I said after that, I said, I've got to learn how to play an instrument. And, so you, uh, you didn't have any musical training before then? No, I did not. When I was when I was maybe 11 or maybe younger, I guess younger than that, I actually um, played piano for about two months. Yeah, uh, a couple you months. did the perfunctory and season of piano lessons. And right, exactly. And all the whole time I was sitting there, you know, practicing scales and stuff, all I could here outside is kids playing wanting to and I wanted to be out there throwing the football around because I was sure. I was a very active kid and really had to I wanted I want I love playing sports so I wanted to get out there and play with everybody run around mm. ride bikes and all that so piano and so from that experience it was actually a negative one for me because I ended up thinking music is not something I could do because I didn't really yeah. learn anything, you know, a couple months and nothing. I didn't get anywhere. Of course, I didn't practice either. So sure. that, that might have had something to do with it. Yeah. Um, but right. So so then after well, after college, I came home and uh, I there was uh, my mother was had, had divorced and she was dating a guy who had a fiddle and uh, had a violin. And I said, I, I, can I try that? He had it in the closet, and uh, I started playing it. And I just and I got some uh, I got some records at County Classics Volume Number One and Number Two. Um, I remember the red cover. It was uh, you know like the skillet liquors and 
um, you know, great old stuff. And, um, and, and I started listening to those tunes and not really knowing what I, what, what I was listening to, but I yeah. thought it was pretty cool. And so I just started to teach myself some fiddle tunes. And I went to grad school in public health uh, at Johns Hopkins, and I continued to play um, like at happy hour with a bunch of other musicians who were we were playing like Cat Stevens and whatever. And I was just in there jamming away as a harmonica yeah. player and guitar players and whatever banjo player who played bluegrass. We just played whatever and no particular style. And I would I would play the, you know some fiddle tunes, and they would all play along too. Yeah. Um, and, and then uh, while I was in grad school, I started uh, getting a little more serious about playing, working on playing, and uh, picked up the hammer dulcimer and started to really find out more about what was out there and what, what's old time, what's Irish, you know, all the different styles of uh, traditional music. And I was very much uh, interested in that. So I, I, I want to point out that yes. I think this is a thing, and maybe you can corroborate this, but You're like right. where someone's in grad school studying something that's not necessarily their passion. And then that's when they decide I'm going to get serious about like my artistic passion. No, it hasn't happened to me, but I've seen yeah. it a lot. I feel like yeah, that's so what yeah. happened to, um, to Luke Chohani as well. Yes. Yeah. I know a lot of people that's happened to with that. They were, they were planning on being this. And then yeah. I just, so, and I actually went all the way through, got my doctorate, uh, did the PhD thing at Hopkins. Epidemiology comes in handy these days. Um, yes. So, right. And so I, I did, I, and after, after I finished, I said, you know, I really don't want, I don't want to like just take a job yeah. uh, at teaching at a university, doing research or whatever. Um, that's, you know, I appreciate that people love to do that and, and I enjoy the intellectual part of it, but I really love playing music. So that was something that I, I said, I've got to continue to play. And, uh, so I decided at first that I would split my time uh, half and half doing music yeah. and, and, uh, doing consulting on the side. And gradually the music kind of took over. Um, to become more like 90% and 10% the consult, consulting stuff in, yeah. in medical research. But, but for a period when the, my kids uh, uh, got to a certain age, it just got, it got to be a little much, the traveling, because we were touring. Yeah. I was playing this trio called Helicon, and we, we were doing like 140, 50 dates a year. Wow. That's a long time to be away from the family. So, yeah. it, so it, was, it was just too stressful. And, um, and so I, I said, I got to do something different. And I said, well, maybe this PhD thing will be a good thing to use now again. Yeah. So, so I kind of went back <laughs> to that and, uh, for a period. And uh, as soon as the kids kind of went off to college, that was kind of my, my time to say, okay, that was enough. Uh, yeah. To, and and I, but the whole time, I never took on a full-time job. I did it, huh. went to about half and half again. Uh, so it, it was good. It worked out well, and I don't do any consulting anymore. I stopped that many years ago, so I've just been back to music, and uh, it's much Stop more fun. asking. <laughs> right, yes, right. <laughs> but I do keep, you know, I stay in touch with uh, my public health friends, and uh, especially yeah. these days, to have a lot of conversations about of uh, what's going on in the world. And, uh, yeah. Wow, yeah. that's that's so amazing that you had virtually no musical experience and then decided 
I'm always so impressed with people who decide to pick up the fiddle as their first instrument yes. as an adult. Like that's right. incredible. And I don't know if you're planning on fiddling at all um, this episode, but I've heard you f- fiddle plenty, and yes. you you sound great. <laughs> you sound like someone who's been playing for um, well, well, not very long, and you have been playing for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just the you know uh, trying to learn new things as an adult. It takes so much time and so much energy, and it's so much harder to do that when you're also trying to make sure that. You know, even just yeah. that your that your own self is getting uh, fed and sheltered, much less right. other people. <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, yes. I'm so uh, kind of in awe and inspired that you're able to like, <laughs> yeah, so um, do all yeah. of these things that you've done in your life. Yeah, so fiddle was definitely my my first love, and that's really what I you know I, I thought oh, this is the best ever, and um, and I still love to play, and uh, you know. Uh, I, pro- I split my time pretty evenly, I'd say, working on the, those two instruments. I do play. I am working on guitar. I decided I needed to learn to play guitar after all these years. Oh, okay. I understand, I understand all the chord theory, you know, but the, the execution is another issue. So, um, <laughs> so I'm working on that a little bit. Cool. Not, I don't put too much time into it, but I, I love playing guitar. It's really fun. It's hard. It's really lovely to be able to play guitar at an old-time jam. Or to be able to choose it, you know, because um, it just uses different parts of your brain. Yeah. If you're all noted out. Um, yes. There's like all these fun little math problems. I'm also working on my old time guitar lately so that I can like oh, cool. better accompany banjo players when they come on the show, you know, and things like that. And uh, it's so fun. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, for me, it's um, that's I have pretty much the same goal, which is just to be able to hang out in a jam and just... I'm not going to get anything, ever do anything very fancy, but just to be able to play basic rhythm uh, yeah. to support uh, in a jam, you know, because there's a lot, you know, those times when you're in a jam and you've got a couple fiddles, you got band, a couple banjos maybe, and, you, and you're looking yeah. around and like, when I have a guitar gonna player, do it. I play guitar, <laughs> it's going to do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I always love it when someone picks up the guitar, maybe the bass, you know, it's really lucky if you have yeah. a bass also. So, um uh, yeah, so I, I want to. I'd like to be able to, uh, you know, just be the guy that that, that supports the jam hmm. and not not have you know. So so most of the time in jams, I'm playing fiddle actually, not not the hammer instrument, but uh, sure. Um, you know, just you know, when I, if I go to a cliff top or whatever, I'm, I'm not lugging this around anyway. And right. I, and we know that these are not always so welcome. So oh, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. sure, yeah. So I can also imagine issue. that the. He- Maybe there's some humidity issues. In yeah, the of there, there is. Yeah, just it just right the, uh, in, the tuning. Yeah, we actually do. We um, I do get together a bunch of the hammered ulcer players that that show up to Clifftop, and uh, and we we typically have a, a little jam. A guy named Paul Galtz, who's from uh, Michigan, and uh, Sam Herman is uh, you know she's there. Uh, Bob Shanks, you probably know Bob. He's he's all, he's often there. Yeah, um, and there's a bunch of other players, and we'll 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 do a little jam at some point. But mostly, I just play when I'm there. I'm just playing fiddle. Yeah, and uh, and just you know, that's it's it's portable, and it's you can get in, get on a lot of jams that way. Yeah, <laughs> as opposed to have people looking at you cross-eyed. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I was saying that um, uh, earlier about this this other world of hammered ulcer players and mountain ulcer players that kind of 
cluster at these festivals and and play old time tunes. And um, you know, I, I think that it, it is a it is a problem that is par- partly because you know there there's a sense that they're not welcome in in the, the larger old time world, and um, and so I think that's that's one reason they're out there. But I think uh, by themselves. But the other is I think. Uh, uh, you know, it's maybe a little bit of their own making in that it didn't, or maybe a lot, in that uh, many Hammer Olsen players don't endeavor to really learn the the, uh, the style sure. and, 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 and get immersed deeply enough in the genre. Many players are attracted to the instrument. Hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and then they discover these different genres of, of music instead of most, I think, most people who pick up the fiddle, the band or whatever, they get into it because they want to play old time music. But there, you know, we also know that there's lots of people that just say, "I want to learn to play the banjo," not realizing that there's different styles sure. of banjo. And, yes. and definitely with fiddle, I get all the time. I do teach fiddle and I teach hammer dulcimer, and I all the time I get uh, calls of, of people saying, "I'd like to learn to play the fiddle," and yeah. and I often follow it up with, the, "Okay, great. What style would you like to to learn?" And you know, uh, they, they Lindsay Sterling say, videos. Yeah, there's like there are more. How many styles are there? Yeah. <laughs> you know, right? And uh, and so I'll I'll send them to YouTube and say, well, listen to this and see if this is what you want to learn. Yeah. You want to? Do you want to be like Michael Cleveland? <laughs> or yeah. You good luck. Be like, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Good luck. There's only one of him anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if you want that style, it's uh, that's. Don't come, I'm not going to help you at all. Sure. Yeah. And then sometimes people want, you know, they, they actually really want Irish music. And I'm like, well, that's a whole nother thing, you know, can I, and, and they say, well, can I do it all? And I was like, uh, you might be able to, I can't, but you know, right. it's like, uh, you tell of, me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Most of us can't, most of us cannot play multiple styles on film. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's very difficult just to get one down. Sure. And, uh, yeah, as you know, yeah. Do you play fiddle at all? I don't even know. If I, you, I I do play fiddle. I yeah. every once in a while will play it on the show, but I'm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but mostly I just do it uh, for fun, uh, or if I'm leading a jam and no fiddler yes. showed up, you know. Right, and so. then you'll you'll jump in. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Yeah. And it is mostly fun. <laughs> it's yeah, sometimes yeah. It's <laughs> frustrating. <laughs> <Right>. Sometimes <laughs> it's uh, stressful, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's any instrument. It's some. It's. It's uh, and, and anyone that teaches knows this that it's uh, it can be uh, and just anyone that plays it can be uh, very frustrating sometimes to to work you know working on your instrument yeah uh, but I I mostly don't uh, get uh, very frustrated by practicing I just I look at it as all as you know just a journey you know to, to, for each tune or anything that I'm working on. So I think I, maybe years ago I would get that way, but yeah. I don't. I don't experience that anymore. I don't know about you, but I. I kind of just say I'm going to learn this tune, and okay, uh, you know I've been working on it six months now. It's maybe not getting much better. Maybe I'll put it aside and see if I yeah. can do it next year. <laughs> right? I'll pick it up again. You know. Um, yeah, I've been so, there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> maybe next year. Right. Some yeah, tunes, it's maybe. better. You wait yeah, a year. T- yeah, and then. <laughs> And then sometimes all of a sudden it just comes. It's like, it's a, it's a mystery. And it's, I I don't know if it's you, your head is in a different place or maybe just gotten a little bit better or whatever. It's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. Brains are interesting organs. Yeah. How they work. And 
the rest of us as well. Well, right. before we do, we're going to do two more tunes in the episode proper. Okay. And then after the next one, I want to hear about, you know, I want you to tell everyone where to go to buy your music or take lessons with you, gotcha. or et cetera. But okay. before we, before we do that, and before we play one more tune, uh, I'd love for you to just like fit in that last puzzle piece of when were you introduced to hammer dulcimer? When did you make the leap from being just a fiddler to also playing hammer dulcimer? Right. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so I started, uh, as I said, start for the first couple of years, of my musical journey, uh, it was fiddle and, uh, and, and fiddle only, but I, I heard, um, a, a couple of players, John McCutcheon, um, playing the hammer dulcimer and I, Walt Michael, uh, Bill Spence. Uh, so these were the, like the previous generation of mm -hmm. uh, a little bit before my time. And, uh, and I heard these guys play and, uh, and I thought this is really so cool. Uh, this instrument, it looks physically really fun, um, to, to, to bang on something and make sound. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, so I, uh, I got a hammered dulcimer. It was it was it was all t totally warped. It had this giant like curve in it and everything. Um, but it was uh, I I said uh, this is something I'm gonna this is gonna be fun to play and uh, and I just started to work on it and uh, I think I got a, a couple other oh Manamora was another group that was out there Malcolm Douglas and um, so I got you know I got to know all these people over the years. And, um, and, and play with all of them. And, uh, so it was, it's, that was, you know, that's, that's basically it. I just kind of found it, uh, a couple of years into my fiddle playing and, uh, started playing Hammer Dulcimer. And, and I think the physicality of the instrument uh, really appealed to me. And I was able to, I, I think I have pretty good hand-eye coordination. I was, mm. I'm a soccer player and I've played other you know, lacrosse and all kinds of, so the, just moving around the instrument and the geometry of the instrument really appealed to me. Mm. I saw patterns, uh, chord patterns. In fact, I wrote a whole book about this on, for the hammer dulcimer. Oh, <laughs> about great. All the chord patterns because I figured out all these chord patterns that exist on the instrument. Other people have too, but I've uh, found all these, all the, the, the geometry of the instrument really, uh, appealing and that's how I play mostly using the geometry you know rather I, I think in terms of chords and the geometry rather than what is this note sure yeah yeah that so it's much more efficient I guess that leads to maybe my final question before you play the next tune which is how does one get into learning to play the uh, hammer dulcimer and it sounds like maybe they should get yeah. this book Right, they should get this book. Yeah, <laughs> it's called the it's called the um, the complete guide to the theory and mapping for the hammer dulcimer. Oh, great! So theory and mapping. So it's it's those two concepts together. The you know taking music theory, chord theory, and it's you know trying to get people to play this instrument more like a guitar player would play, where mm. the guitar player plays ch using shapes, right? Chord shapes. Sure. So seeing chord shapes and then understanding how chords move. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, yeah, there's one, four, five, but we know there's lots of other chords in right. music. There's, you know, you got all the minor chords and minor sevenths, major sevenths, dominant sevenths, secondary dominants, augmented, and all that stuff. All, um, all those chord possibilities 
that you could do as a guitarist or piano player or whatever, you could do on a hammered dulcimer. So when you, yeah, so when I say mapping, uh, what I'm referring to is really the the seeing mapping the patterns on the instrument, mapping the instrument itself, how it's organized, learning to see intervals. Um, uh, so you know when you hear a six in a, in a tune. Being able to say, where is that on the hammered dulcimer? Yes. But also hearing larger intervals and how to find them. Uh, so to be able to know where all the intervals are on the instrument, where's your tritones, et cetera. Um, so, uh, and it's, it, and, and be able to, you know, especially for piano players, because on the, on the piano players, we'll see, well, here's your C, there's C sharp, D, you know, you can see the whites and the black notes and all that. Yep. And it's, it's very, it's all laid out, it's right there. But as you notice, C sharp is here and then C is over there. Yeah. Um, how, do we, how do you learn to see intervals so you can see those relationships? How, do you, how can you learn to see chromatics on the, the instrument? All of that. And that's, so I, that's why I wrote that book. So it is kind of, I do view it, of course, for any one of my students, they've got to get the book. Well, it's complete. <laughs> um, yeah, it is complete. I, and the reason I put complete is because this is the fifth edition, and I'm not going to touch it Yeah, now. It's <laughs> done. done. <laughs> it's done. It started out as charts, not like nine or ten pages of charts, mm. uh, just like graphically showing, here's this chord, here's, here's how you see this stuff. And then I took it uh, a, a step further, and I said, well, it needs an explanation. So then it became 21 pages cause yeah. to explain all those charts. And I said, well, that's not enough. So I made it 34 pages because I was missing some important concepts. And I said, no, no, i got to do more. So it became 61 pages and a hard stock paper, you know. Yeah. Really great. I had a, a, a really nice graphic person put it all together for me. And then finally, I just said, I'm going to go all out and put yeah. everything in there that I think someone should know uh, for any level player. Um, and so that if you really wanted to get deep into the weeds of theory and how to use it, um, then there it is. As, uh, from beginning players right on through advanced players. So now it's 100 pages. <laughs> but I am done. Because Great. it says complete. Because the title says, as you said, complete. Yeah. It's complete. <laughs> Another word for complete is done, finished. <laughs> so, yeah. So Great. yeah. So then, and to, just to follow up on that, uh, yeah, I, I was just going to say that um, uh, you know today there are, there are many people that teach online. I I do that some as well, uh, but I recommend folks uh, uh, to certain uh, teachers out there as well. And there's all these festivals, as I said, Dulcimer festivals. There's lots of ways to learn. We can talk more about that if you like. But uh, that's short answer. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Well, um, what do you want to play next? All right. Let's see. I got a list here. I could do. I could do maybe. Uh, I could do a waltz. I could do Lonesome John. Maybe if I want to do something minor, I could do a rag. Uh, how many more do we have? Two. One. Uh, yeah, two. Two more in the episode proper, not counting okay. the bonus track. All right, so let's see. Maybe I'll do, um, how about a waltz? Something, something a little different? Yeah, lovely. Okay, let's do it. all right. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what I'll play, but I'll, I'll pick one. Great. Here goes. <laughs>
decided to add a second tune there. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there was a little key change in that waltz. I still remember this one. So the first tune was um, a Cowboy Waltz. And, um, and I, was, I was poking around on the internet for something, uh, looking for something about Woody Guthrie one day, just on YouTube, you know, going in that downward spiral where you're just getting the rabbit hole yeah, looking at videos. And, you know, you know the can, algorithm. Can spend, uh, it's, it's, it's nasty. It's a bad thing to do. But, um, <laughs> but I was having fun. I was looking at Woody Guthrie videos that were out there, little things, and I found this thing of him playing the fiddle. I had no yeah. idea he played the fiddle. Did you know that? Yeah. Only recently when someone yeah. posted, I think, probably the same video. Oh, the Cowboy Waltz playing yeah, it? I yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So, so I said, this is such a cool tune. So, um, and so I went and uh, I worked on, uh, I learned this tune, Cowboy Waltz, and uh, I added some weird chords in there, as you heard. And then, uh, and then I went into another one that uh, had similar feel called the Down Home Waltz, which was written by Buck White. Um, out in uh, Texas, I think he is. Or did was, you say? Uh, did you say down home or downhill? The down, the down home waltz. Okay, the cool. Home. Yeah. It sounded more like down home, but yeah, right. The down yeah. home. <laughs> That's my Baltimore accent, probably. Yeah, yeah Baltimore. <laughs> the down, the down home waltz. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so two cool tunes. Yeah, uh, and you certainly were were getting very chromatic with that cowboy waltz. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Putting that instrument to work. Right, D, D major 7, D7, G, and then you got F sharp 7, B7, like all kinds of chords in there. Yeah, yeah, right, a lot of chromatics, yeah, a lot of fun. So, um, we have one more tune, but before okay. we do that, where do people go to yeah. buy all of your albums and learn about all your different musical projects? Uh, we haven't really talked about this much, but you are the, no. the father of Brad Kolodner, who's um, yes. one of my favorite banjo players and has been on my the show favorite? twice yeah, yeah I, I right. could, one of my favorite banjo I would hope so you <laughs> right. play so many gigs with him that's right <laughs> but you yeah, two so, have played together for quite a while yeah so brad started you know he also didn't play well he did play cello as a kid and then he uh picked up the uh, he only picked up the banjo because he was all growing up he was around my music yeah everywhere you know there's always people at the house and all kinds of musicians and um, and so there was a music camp that I uh, I took my daughter Hillary to for many years, and Brad wanted to go. So at age seventeen, he he, he I said, "Let's go, let's do it." And I was teaching at this camp called Meadowlark in Maine. I taught there for fourteen summers. It was a great music camp, uh, all instruments, and um, and. I said to Brad, you've, you've got to take some instruments. You can't just go and hang out and play play soccer and go swimming all day because it's actually at a camp, a physical camp. So it sounds uh, like in, he was in, like in kind a, of a similarly active... Yeah, he was an active kid and not really that interested in music. And so he came to this camp and uh, he decided to take harmonica and penny whistle and vocal. Uh, you know, chorus kind of class. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, little little instruments that you can stick in your pocket, basically. That was good for him. But there were he didn't have a penny whistle, and there were no more penny whistles left. So that class was full. So he ins- said, well, I guess I'll try the banjo. When he didn't have a banjo either. And uh, Richie Stearns was teaching at this festival. He taught every year at the festival. And, uh, and Brad just... He loved just doing that. The bum did that. Was, you know, yeah. that's what he came home doing, just doing that. And I and I said, okay, we got to get you a banjo. So we borrowed a banjo from a friend, and uh, that got him going. 
So, uh, but, and so today, of course, we play uh, together, uh, well, until the pandemic, play a, a lot together. And um, we're, st- we're still doing, you know, some streaming shows, certainly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, typically 50 concerts a year is uh, pretty typical for us. And we do the Baltimore Old Time Jam. So that happens every other Tuesday. And we started that jam seven years ago. And uh, we really wanted to pull together the, the community here mm. in, in Baltimore. Um, and because uh, there were a lot of players, but, uh, you know, and many of us, many of the folks knew each other, uh, but really didn't get together that much, except in people's homes occasionally. And, uh, and you know, really it was like different levels of players. Um, you know, so like the, the, the best players would be hanging out just by themselves yeah. and people more at that intermediate level and then more of a beginning level, you know, not really playing with people. So we said we needed a, a platform, a place where people could go that was public. So we started this, the Baltimore All Time Jam. And uh, it, it started off, it got so, it was so big on that first time that we needed a different, a bigger place. And uh, so prior to the pandemic, we were in, in a, a, a pub in, in Baltimore restaurant in the Hamden area. And uh, we would get, we typically would get 50 to 70 people wow. playing. Yeah, so it's quite, quite a big jam. So we, and what we would do for the first hour and a half would be, uh, it's led by Brad and I. I play fiddle, Brad would play bass or guitar. Um, and um, and some, maybe some fiddle occasionally. And uh, Alex Lacamont would often uh, join us, uh, Luke Chohani. Uh, it was a lot of, a lot of the, uh, Jonathan Vaki, you know, a lot of the regulars now. Yeah. Um, um, uh, 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 Rich Osmond and Caitlin, you know, because they live here now. Uh, all kinds of people live here now, so there's there's lots of players. Uh, Bill Schmidt, uh, he doesn't show up, but he's in the area too. So a lot of great players right in this area. Um, anyway, we uh, so we start off with a slow jam that goes for about an hour and a half, and then we do a fast jam. But we really wanted to bring in those players that either. Uh, are intimidated by the speed of a typical time jam, or uh, or just needed the encouragement, or both. Uh, you know, by playing tunes slower, and and you know, uh, a lot of advanced players I think sneer at uh, well at the slow jam concept, but I think it's we think it's great. Because, They're so important. Uh, and yes, and and as a more advanced player, you got to be able to play slow. You can learn a lot. <laughs> you, you there's always something as you know that you can work on. Uh, when you're playing the tune slowly, and you have to play tunes slowly, so I, I look at it as a, as a good time for me to really work on my sound and all that, playing the fiddle. And uh, we now do that jam online, so every other Tuesday we're doing that, um, or almost every other Tuesday. And uh, just Brad, Alex, and I, because we're in the bubble together. Uh, and aside from that, um, what, what was, I don't even remember what we were talking about. Oh, the oh, Baltimore uh, scene. Yeah, yeah, what was it? Uh, yeah. we, were, we were talking about how to give you money for your music. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I got going on the Baltimore all-time jam scene. I mean, we that's great. Had, People should check yeah, that no. out, and I'll link it. Yeah, no. And we are going to start up. We just talked uh, today, in fact, about starting up the Baltimore Old-Time Festival. We started the festival a couple years back. Yes. We want to get that. We're going to keep that going. We're going to do... Uh, we're going to do a virtual one in March, but we're going to do uh, in November. We're very hopeful to do a in-person one 
Oh, uh, great. Going again. And then the following March, uh, 2022, we're already talking about scheduling that. And, well, that's uh, great because you know, you'll make up for yeah. the miss- missing out this, this year. One. That's right, awesome. Exactly. Yeah, so we'll cram a couple in. All that's great. In a row. Exactly. So, and I think a lot of people are probably thinking along those lines, like, let's get back, you know, when we can. Yes. Uh, safely. Yeah, when we can do it safely. Uh, so anyway, yes. That's good public uh, health. So I, yes, right. <laughs> so I, I do play um, play with Brad, but I also I also play with a, a Scottish fiddler, Elka Baker. Um, he's a Scottish national fiddle champion from uh, a bunch of years ago. He's a great musician. And we just did a recording with a guy named Robin Bullock, who's a long-term musical partner of mine in this tree, uh, group called Helicon that I played with, with Chris Norman, the flute player. And um, so the uh, Robin, Elka, myself, and Alex Lackelmont, who's also in Brad's other group, which, uh, Charts of Junction, um, we just did a recording called On Cold Winter's Day, which is kind of a wintry, uh, seasonal kind of recording. But really, it's got music from all over the place, and we slid all kinds of tunes in there. Um, and so that's coming out in either late December. I think the official re- release will be January or February. We haven't figured that out yet. Uh, but it's coming out very uh, soon. And uh, Brad and I did a recording called Stony Run this past year. We timed it perfectly for the pandemic. March 13th was yeah. our release date. Was <laughs> release. That's the, the day of the Baltimore Time Festival, too. So we, everything shut down on that day, as you might I recall. remember when it came yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was, so that, yeah. That was something. So, yeah. <laughs> not good timing, but, uh, you know, we got it out there and we, you know, some people buy it, so that's, that's it's cool. a really good album. And if Thank everyone you. was distracted by uh, <laughs> by <laughs> all of the reasonably distracting things, uh, then yes. and slept on that, uh, go get it now. It's yeah. awesome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and so you can uh, so there are a couple websites. Just me, KenKalander.com, and then KenAndBrad.com. Uh, Easy to remember, and uh, you can find uh, our Brett, Brad and I have done four recordings together. I've done about fifteen additional recordings over the years, a bunch with Helicon. I also played with a, a lady named Laura Risk, who's a great fiddler up in uh, Quebec, um, and, and played uh, Irish, Scottish, Cape Breton music, and, and Cape Breton music. And we we did a bunch of recordings uh, years ago. And uh, she, we don't we don't perform together anymore, but uh, she's up there in Quebec, and I'm down here, so. Yeah. Anyway, but she was a really fantastic player. Um, yeah, so that's kind of it. Great. Well, I will make sure to link all of that in the show notes so that okay. no one has to remember any URLs. They can just tap and swipe around until they've bought all your music. Right. I, sh- I should add one other thing. Oh, please. And that is, yeah. So I run a, uh, I do run a six week, uh, six weeks of a retreat down in Sandbridge, Virginia. And, um, it's uh, I rent three houses oceanfront, and I have um, a, a teaching assistant and a, a videographer, and we do. Um, I invite hammered ulcer players to come. Oh, wow. for for uh, these weeks, and it's all graded by different levels, and we have a chef, and so I get about thirty people per week. That sounds and, great. Uh, of course, in pandemic, when we went all Zoom this year, we had about one hundred eighty people attend. Uh, but I also do one, I do a, 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 a three-day fiddle retreat in there also. And I do a hammer master masterclass in there as well. Decided after doing many years of like Swannanoa and Augusta and all the, uh, many of the music camps that I wanted to do my own. That was a little more focused sure. and more time, more time just to really teach. Because at a lot of festivals, you're only in class 
you know, for an hour, hour and 15 minutes with this, those, uh, uh, you know, your, whatever your topic is, then you, you have another class come in. And this was uh, a way to get deeper into hmm. all that theory that I like <laughs> yeah. and all those patterns and, and really get deeper into the tunes and, and in a less pressured way than, than you have typically in a workshop. Sure. So that was, that was the idea, the impetus. And I wanted to be in a really nice place. I wanted to be at the ocean. And eat good food too, and sleep in a nice place. <laughs> so all those, uh, all those things went into factoring. That sounds it. like a really lovely time. It's it's really great. I've been doing it for uh, seventeen years. Wow. And, um, you know, we still managed to pull it off this year. We'll still do it in, in March. We'll, we'll be zooming again, but next fall, I think we're, we're going to we'll move to a hybrid model. Okay. Uh, zo- zooming, and I think you know, I think going forward, there will always be a Zoom component. Uh, to, yeah. I think a lot of I think a lot of festivals will do that. Actually, make it available to people because I think that's one thing we've learned in this pandemic is that you know we ha- we fortunately have the technology to do to make uh, music more available to people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Well, um, yeah. to anyone listening, or sorry. To everyone listening, uh, make sure to stick around after this last tune because it, I will go into more detail about where to find all of those things and if Ken uh, remembers anything between when we recorded this and when it's posted, I will mention that there as well. Okay, cool. Great. Well, what do you want to play for this last tune? Okay, so is, is this, this last tune, is this, uh, this, there's going to be a, another last tune after the last tune, right? Yeah, the last one that uh, everyone will hear. Because I want to, because the other one will be one that you would definitely play on, right? For sure. I mean, you can play on any of these you want, of course. But um, so I was thinking we'd maybe do together uh, North Carolina Breakdown. Oh, what? Yeah, which would be because I know you know that. And and I may I'll do a minor thing. Uh, How about Lonesome John? Great. Lonesome John. Yeah, let me do that. Lonesome John or or the Cuckoo's Nest. Which one should I do? Lonesome John or Cuckoo's Nest? Oh, any preference? Let's do Lonesome John. I don't know if that's ever actually happened on the show before. Okay, I'll do Lonesome John. Sounds great. (laughs) Thank you so much for giving up a little bit of your Wednesday evening to record this. It was really great hearing your tunes and uh, feeling, yeah, a little less isolated this week. (laughs) Yes, yes. And thank you as well. (laughs) It was really fun. All right, Lonesome John. Here it goes.
Visit Ken Kalodner's website at kenkalodner.com to learn more about his many musical projects and to start the process of buying his enormous discography. Good Lord, Ken Kalodner is a thoroughly recorded man. It's so eclectic. He's got his album Stony Run from last year with his son Brad, which is fantastic. I highly recommend it. A new album with Scottish national fiddle champion Elkie Baker called On a Cold Winter's Day. And then there's all his albums with Helicon. Take your pick. Ken's website is also a great place to learn more about his workshops and retreats if you want to study hammered dulcimer or fiddle with him. Uh, what else? There's the Baltimore Old Time Jam. Make sure to subscribe to Brad Kalodner on YouTube so you can play along. Also, you can learn more about old-time music in Baltimore, including the festival, at bemoreoldtime.com. That's the letter B and then moreoldtime.com. You can support Get Up in the Cool by sharing the show with a friend or sharing and liking the video posts on Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, and YouTube. And if you're able, please help fund this podcast by signing up at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. You can order a mask, t-shirt, bag, sticker, or phone case with the Get Up In The Cool logo at the Get Up In The Cool merch store. Visit pitchforkbanjo.com for my instructional banjo series. Check out my other podcast, Think Outside The Box Set, available in all the same places as Get Up In The Cool. And again, everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up In The Cool.